This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you listen. New episodes come out every other Friday. Good morning, everyone. Hello, and welcome to Zellerbach Hall. I'm Jeremy Geffen. I'm the executive and artistic director for Cal Performances. And we are so, uh, we feel so fortunate to have you all with us and to be able to partner with the Black Studies Collaboratory at UC Berkeley um, for this, uh, this morning's panel discussion. Um, and I'm going to actually turn this over to someone who is far more knowledgeable and, uh, and far more personable than myself, Professor Lee Rayford, who is the director of the Black Studies Collaboratory. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to see you all here. Um, my name is Lee Rayford, and I'm a professor of African American and African Diaspora Studies uh, here at UC Berkeley, and I am the director and co-PI with Professor Tiana S. Pichel of the Black Studies Collaboratory. Um, the Collaboratory is a recipient excuse me, of a Mellon Foundation's Just Future grant, which is a collaborative initiative to address racial inequality through bold and unique humanities-based research projects. We are thrilled to be partnering with Cal Performances on today's event, which also happens to be the first of 10 events organized by the Abolition Democracy Fellows Program of the Collaboratory. You can find out more about our spring series in uh, flyers that are downstairs at the entrance, as well as at our website, blackstudiescollab.berkeley. So I'm joining, we are joining, gathering here today in person uh, from the, at the Zellerbach Hall mezzanine here at UC Berkeley. This campus is sited on the territory of the Huchun, the ancestral and unceded lands of the Chochenyo-speaking Ohlone, the successors of the historic and sovereign band of Alameda County. This land was and continues to be of great importance to the Mawekma Ohlone tribe, and other familial descendants of the Verona Band. We recognize that every member of the Berkeley community has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of this land since the institution's founding in 1868. We acknowledge and pay respect to Mawekwa Ohlone ancestors, peoples today, and the Mawekwa Ohlone future to come. In, a lot, in acknowledging Ohlone, the Ohlone history of this land, we acknowledge that the Ohlone people are thriving members of the Berkeley community, who are actively imagining just more just futures and engaging the tools that are needed to do that imaginative work. So whether you are joining us from Ohlone land, from elsewhere on Turtle Island, um, or beyond, thank you for being with us today, and a special shout out to my parents in Atlanta <laughs> who are on the live stream. Um, the Black Studies Collaboratory is committed to amplifying the world-building work of black studies. And the Abolition Democracy Fellows Program is a centerpiece of the collaboratory. Since September, the 15 fellows in our program, ages 20 to 76, artists and academics from a range of disciplines, speaking multiple languages at various stages in their careers, gathered weekly with care and audacity, with wonder and joy to envision alternative presence and futures. 
The fellows curated this 10 event series and we invite you all into this shared space of critical engagement and collaborative imagining. Now creating the conditions of care where people can dream big is hard work. It's hard collective work. Um, so before I turn it over to the luminous Ramalika Imhotep, curator and moderator of today's event, Tiana Pachelle and I want to thank all of those who, all of those folks who have made today possible. Black Studies Collaboratory Project Manager Extraordinaire Barbara Montano. <laughs> Our awesome collaboratory graduate student assistant, Gilberto Rosa Duran. The Department of African American Studies, helmed brilliantly by Chair Professor Nikki Jones. Our incredible department administrative staff, Sandy Richmond, Maria Heredia, and reading room attendant department archivist, Francesco Araujo. We want to thank Cal Performance's staff, especially Director Jeremy Geffen, Mina Girgis, Enrica Anderson. Thank you to Educational Technology Services for their incredible tech support. I want to thank our Spanish language interpreters, Marcy and Elena, in the back. If anyone needs Spanish language interpretation, um, there are devices for, for your use. Um, we have to thank, of course, the Andrew Mellon Foundation. Um, I want to thank the artists who are joining us today, Esperanza Spalding, Bronte Velez, Exine Sky, and Gallery of the Streets, Kai Lumumba Barrow, and Jazz Franklin for making the time to be with us here today. Um, I want to thank the ancestors who always walk with us. And I want to thank all of you who are here and masked <laughs> at Zellerbach, and all of you joining us via YouTube. And I want to thank especially the curator and moderator of today's event, Abolition Democracy Dissertation Writing Fellow, Ra Malika Imhotep. <laughs> From Atlanta, Georgia, Ra Malika is a black feminist writer and performance artist currently completing a PhD in African Diaspora Studies and New Media, Study, uh, New Media Studies here at UC Berkeley. As a scholar and cultural worker, Ra is invested in exploring relationships between, between clear, queer black femininities, black vernacular cultures, and the performance of labor. As a steward of black studies and black feminist thought, Ra dreams, organizes, and facilitates spaces of critical reflection and embodied spiritual political education. Ra is a, a co-convener of the church of Black Feminist Thought, an embodied spiritual political education project. Ra is also a member of the Black Aesthetic Curatorial Co uh, Collective. And Ra is co-author of the Black Feminist Study Theory Atlas, which is available for sale at the Berkeley Art Museum bookstore, and author of Gossipine, forthcoming from Red Hun Press this spring. The Black Studies Collaboratory has been profound, shaped profoundly by Ra's expansive practice by their radiant intellect, and by their multidimensional, their interdimensional vision. I'm absolutely thrilled that we are opening our Black Studies Collaboratory Spring Event Series with the performance of labor, the labor of performance, curated by Ramalika Imhotep. I'll it over to you. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. 
I feel like I'm literally inside of a dream. So thank you all for being there with me. Um, I guess I'm not hallucinating because there are witnesses. Um, This is such an auspicious occasion, and that's a word that was enriched for me by the work of Bronte Velez. Um, We are gathered here today in the wake of the ascension of funk luminary Betty Davis, following the birthday of Leontine Price, the birthday of Mary Lovelace O'Neill, and today, I just discovered, is Flo Kennedy's birthday. So we're just like in a season of black feminist time marking, and I feel so honored to be gathering here in the wake of that legacy. In the essay, The Anarchy of Colored Girls Assembled in a Riotous Manner, Saidia Hartman writes, survival required acts of collaboration and genius. The mutuality and creativity necessary to sustain life in the context of intermittent wages, controlled deprivation, economic exclusion, coercion, and anti-black violence often bordered on the extra-legal and the criminal. Beautiful, wayward experiments entailed what W.E.B. Du Bois described as an open rebellion against society. And these creators, who will join me here shortly, come on, come on down, come on down. Anywhere you want. Um, these creators gathered here today embody, express, and execute beautiful, wayward experiments that have reshaped the terrain of my own black feminist thought and practice. Um, I met Bronte at a distance, admiring the poetry of their words and that of their body as they blazed trails through Atlanta as a young spoken word poet and pre-professional dancer. We would become more formally acquainted when they joined me at Brandeis University in the second cohort of posse scholars to be dispatched from Atlanta. And it was a true goddess blessing when upon graduation they flew westward to apprentice themselves to the work of permaculture and spiritual ecology. I met Exine on Twitter (laughs) in or around 2016 and was quickly impressed by their embodied relationship to the work and legacy of Nina Simone. Since that very millennial beginning, I have been in constant awe of the world of sound they create and their angelic sense of self-fashioning. I have never met an artist and organizer who more ardently embodies Nina Simone's call to reflect the times through classic pianist skills, classic vocalist trainings, and just a whole world of loving imagination that tends to our living and our dying. Cayenne jazz of Gallery of the Streets swept me off my feet during a cacophony of sound and play and ideas I was hungry for during an open rehearsal of their abolitionist global funk visual opera in Atlanta in 2018. During the convergence of the National Women's Studies Association, the American Studies Association, the 20th anniversary of Critical Resistance, and the 25th anniversary of Southerners on New Ground. After a visit with them at a tequila bar in New Orleans the following year, they invited me to join their Black Surrealist Study Group and were a big factor in my decision to reroute my dissertation route through the Dirty South via New Orleans. I have jokingly described my two years of field and feeling work in New Orleans as me defecting from the academy and joining a band of Black Surrealist Maroons. And Kai Lumumba Barrow is the conductor. <laughs> I was brought into Esperanza's orbit by Bronte, 
and their alchemy of community. Like many, if not all of you, her voice has, to quote Bell Hooks, tutored my heart. But in our encounters through Bronte, I have come to know and adore the curiosity of her spirit and the medicine of her genius. This gathering is a dream come true. Now, before I dive into my discussion prompts and true to my grounding as a spiritual political education proponent, um, I would like to offer us all a moment to get in, to mindfully check in and enter this space of discussion together. Um, if you are willing and able, I invite you to just take a moment to breathe. Maybe you breathe into your root. You can access that through the bottom of your feet or your seat. If it is accessible to you, I invite you to rub your hands together and produce some heat. And when you start to feel the, the work of that friction, offer that heat to wherever on your body needs it. And continue to breathe at your own pace. And now I invite you to take that heat to your heart and offer it to that part of yourself that so eagerly wants to be seen and known and heard. And say to that part, in your head or out loud, <laughs> darling, I see you. Darling, I hear you. Darling, I love you. Darling, I am here with you. And may this sense of loving presence just hold us here as we journey together. Um, as now I am in the driver's seat, <laughs> putting on my conductor hat and guiding this beautiful convening of artists to discuss the contours of creative practice. Thank you. Okay. Are, we, are we on? Well, welcome. Everyone, I was telling everybody earlier that my true joy is just getting this group of people together, and I'm honored that we have witnesses, you know, again, proof that it happened, that I'm not hallucinating. What happened? Okay, all set. Thank you. See? I appreciate you. <laughs> um, so my first kind of question, or the first place I would like to anchor this journey is just to ask you each, um, what is your work? And what, if any, lineages and traditions you feel a part of? Don't feel beholden to the seating <laughs> order. <laughs> no need for linear progression, but yeah, what is, what is your work? And you can describe it in as abstract or concrete terms as you desire. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I think on paper, I'm a pianist, I'm a vocalist, I am a composer. I think my work is releasing sound and emotion from my body. I think that's usually my primary function um, and playing a lot with my own breath. I think I come from, hmm, as far as traditions, enslaved 
queer people. I think that's um, a big one. I feel like the slave is always present in my work, in my life, um, and I, I like need it to be. Um, I don't want to live in a world where slavery is not at the forefront of what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Um, what else? I love how you mentioned um, Hartman and riotous, like, queer black girls. I think that is also a big tradition and legacy for me as well. Um, I think also, like, ancestrally, like, tapping into... I think a lot of my work plays with dreams and things that come to me in ways that are not always um, discernible via language. Mm -hmm but come to me via breath or via sound or via scream. Um, so really sort of projecting and not even decoding, just letting that exist mm -hmm. in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see resonance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go. Uh, speaking, you know, my, uh, what I resonated with was what you were talking about with ancestors and your lineage and... Um, so I, I am a documentarian, mostly working with digital video, and uh, but I think the the lineage that I come out of is watching my grandfather Cecil Carter take photos when I was a kid, you know, and I think just now um, he's been dead for uh, twenty years, but I think just now realizing the importance of what he was doing as a, a documentarian and an archivist and uh, looking at how he these photos are so precious to me now you know is a is a big part of uh, my practice and, and recognizing that uh, so yeah I like that we're just gonna start out real easy, <laughs> but we, but we never ever ever do nothing nice yeah. <laughs> and easy. But we gonna start out nice. <laughs> okay, I'm silly. Um, that is part of my lineage. I am uh, on the tail end of the baby boomer generation. And so I am strongly influenced as an artist by the black arts movement, and I come out of Chicago. So I was really, um, you know, those were my uh, artists who participated actively in that movement, like from Afrocobra and uh, Muntu Dance Company, et cetera, were part of my um, growing up, AACM, you know. So I was always around that energy, and I I, you know, I just was, like, exhilarated, right? And so, you know, um, I'm also coming out of the lineage of organizing and movement building. And also at that time, there was a big movement around black studies at the university. So I was surrounded. My, fa my father was a professor. So I was uh, surrounded by a lot of students who were... Um, pushing for these ideas around black studies. And so for me, that kind of connection at like 10 when I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and then at 12 when I read Toni Morrison, The Bluest Eye, I was like, I want to be a revolutionary artist. And so since that point, I think I've been trying to, in 
many different ways because the question of revolution is an evolving question, right? But um, I've been trying to really uh, look at what that means in my practice, in my relationships, and make sure that uh, we're not coming up against a trite kind of didactic um, uh, way of expressing something as as broad as say the black libera- a black liberation project, right? And so, at this point, as an abolitionist, uh, I started. I was one of the founding members of Critical Resistance, and really looking at these ideas of hi- uh, hierarchy and uh, carceral landscapes. I started really thinking as a painter and a site-specific installation artist about how can we transform space and practice. And so a lot of my work uh, situated in black abstraction is about reclaiming space. And so my paintings are very large. They're double-sided. They're really textured. They're getting their bright Kool-Aid colors, as uh, Afrikovic said. They get in your face. They shine. They do all the things um, because... To some degree, I'm trying to make um, make more of a sculptural space uh, if we're dealing with objects, right? And so I think there's that tension between represent, in, especially in the Black Arts Movement, between representational art and, and abstraction. And I'm feeling that the more, you know, as a jazz, free jazz kind of idea, the more that we're situated in abstraction the broader our imaginations can, can go. So I'm really trying to get there, and I'm glad, so glad you shouted out Mary Lovelace O'Neill, whose birthday was yesterday, who's on this campus, I'm a to- who was on this campus, total fangirl, total fangirl. <laughs> Anybody got her number? <laughs> like, oh, oh, I'm so scared. Oh, my God. Let me get that number. <laughs> Jane Cortez, you know, uh, Bell Hooks, right? Like the list goes on, the ways when we think, I'm going to stop in a second, but when we think about black feminism as applied through black abstractions, then I'm really thinking about strategic abstraction, like how do we make this space, this interior space, a new space? So that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Now, if I'm doing it well, the people will... No, or, you know, whatever. It's an experiment. I'm trying it. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, hallelujah. I'm so invigorated. <laughs> well, I think um, my real work has been hidden from me mm. for my whole life. And only recently, as I surrender these signifiers of the things that I am named for Mm -hmm. as a creator. I'm starting to see this intersection that my life is of many lineages, many lineages of peoples of the earth. And I'm um, feeling like the real work that I, the real work that I am here doing probably will remain illegible Mm. on the surface, Mm -hmm. but I recognize that part of it is about these technologies that I inherit as a African ancestored person actually flowing to tend the traumatized abandoned European ancestors 
and work at the root of this trauma of being uh, unrooted. And I feel that it's, it's not a popular practice, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's probably not like legible through portrayal in any ways that it would move through my body. But I, I feel this kind of invitation from the intersection of my life to allow all of these technologies that have flown into my life through music and through these lineages of quote-unquote jazz or freedoms of expression and self-inquiry, inviting them to flow and do this radical invitation and alchemical mm-hmm. work with the um, forgotten ones that are not forgotten through the bodies of many of us and through many systems of white supremacy, occupation, and brutality. So I'm, I'm saying this with this kind of glossed over stare into the distance because it shocks me too. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm uncomfortable with it and I see why it's been hidden until I'm 37, but, mm. but I, I feel that that's actually my, my work. Mm. And it's not going to be named on the marquee or the name of an album, but that's my work. Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel grateful to feel gathered by all that has come, all that's been said thus far, um, and to feel recognized, to like um, f- be able to collect myself through both being last to answer this question <laughs> um, and through yeah the articulation and the kind of like joints like articulating the joints um, where I feel pieced together through your shares um, and yeah I so many threads came up from you all shares that made me think about what my work is, um, honestly. And um, Jazz, when you shared about uh, your grandfather, um, I felt that I am in the tradition of um, growing up, uh, being a descendant of um, black, mad people, um, both angry and um, disturbed and elsewhere and elsewhen and um, my grandfather passed in 2020 and has really been guiding my spirit about eligibility um, about being willing to be in my own logic and to trust that logic um, and permit something that is distinct um, to my spirit to come through Um, and something that I always share that he said to me in a conversation when he was uh, waxing about his PhD in metaphysics that he had. Oh, no, not... Actually, this time it wasn't about the PhD in metaphysics. It was a PhD in... Oh, I can't remember what the language was. It was something... he had many PhDs that he would speak to that he had because he had his own merit. Um, And in this moment where he was talking to me about one of his 
PhDs. Um, he spoke to, uh, at the end of that share, saying that it wasn't because he was stupid, but that it took him a long time to refresh his memory that he was black. So I feel like a lot of my work is about refreshing my memory, particularly through my relationship to the earth. Um, and, yeah, I feel like a lot of my work is at the intersections of black pastoral care, um, both pastoral in the sense of ministry and abolitionist theologies um, and just being close to God and Sabbath and also in, in gathering people coming from black ministers um, and folks who hosted people and held sanctuary for people and also pastoral as in the sense of being out with animals and um, being out with the land and dedicating my life to taking care of place as they take care of me, um, particularly the land that I co-steward with my partner in Kashaya Pomo territory is what is taking care of me mm. at this moment and is my work. Thank you all. Oh, wow. See, y'all, y'all get it now, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of, um, before moving into a question about creative practice, I'm kind of wondering if y'all would riff a bit on two words that just came up or two concepts that just came up, free jazz and illegibility. So I'm going to just put that on the floor and see who picks it up. <laughs> legibility okay someone described our work as early on not early on but like first time I heard the term um, she was using it not in a positive way to say that my work was illegible right and so I was like pondered by this I was like legible to who what are you talking about why are you talking like that first of all and, <laughs> and then from there <laughs> What do you mean, right? And so, like, I really am inspired by what you're saying because also the people that I'm, like, trying to stay in relationship with, um, and I like what everybody was talking about. Ah, sorry. I like what everybody was talking about. Like, at one point, I was like, ah, ah. I think I'm becoming the slavery artist, right? Because, like, all my stuff is, like, cotton that I've picked and sugar cane I've cut. And I'm, like, so feeling the enslaved black woman and where was her agency, right? And, like, all my work keeps going there. And so I was like, I just, they just have to be in the room. And I'm like, whether they're legible or not, I see them. Right, and so that's a value, right? So I don't know, like so. Yeah, who's 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 reading it? Anybody else? <laughs> I'm just, Take the other one. I don't know if this is on. Was somebody about to speak? Oh, I'm thinking about the the two words in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I got to be in a room once with this group called Post Commodity. Um, I believe it's led by Ravin Chacon and two other mestizo and indigenous artists. And the word, somebody asked for a definition of freedom. And so right. all these beautiful, you know, people of color around the room were like offering their definitions. And <laughs> around the middle of the circle, 
this brother from Robin Jack Holmes, man, was like, freedom is a colonial term. Right. right. It was like, that word has been used to genocide my people. So I, that word itself, right. we're borrowing the word to try to describe something that's coming from elsewhere. And the term itself asks for the concept to contort to the service of the term. Mm-hmm. And then the word jazz is another word mm-hmm. that is an invention. It, it, mm-hmm. it did not emerge from the communities creating the music. It was put on to, to feel like we, we have the capacity to signify what that is. Mm-hmm. So um, even, even those terms, I, I feel like we use them like, tr- like, tr- like a passport. We do. To be like, okay, I'm, I'm able to enter this territory and get the resources I need uh, to move from point A to point B undisturbed. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the signifier up that says free jazz, mm-hmm. and y'all can sit back and not try to tell me what this is or isn't. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think that's a really joyous way to engage with mm-hmm. these terms and these signifiers that didn't emerge from our own creative practices, mm-hmm. like allowing them to be a technology and a plaything mm-hmm. that we can put and move around mm-hmm. when we want and are not mm-hmm. beholden to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what I have to say. Because it's 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 about is the sound and I use the language jazz and I'm like like ACM musicians are like we're not jazz it's not don't say that I was like what about the tunes they're like no don't really really don't say that but it's like but this idea of it giving us space to move around is why I think we can play in there with that that sonics. But the language of jazz or opera, the words, right, is for the art, for the marketplace. It's not, that's what, you know, I'm hearing you say in terms of like, and I agree with that if that's what you're saying, um, in terms of that's not what people who were practicing it named it. You know, that's what the marketplace named it. So... Xane, you got some some sauce for that dish? Okay, thank you. (laughs) I honor that. Um, Well, Kai just offered opera, which is another, like, signifier that I think, um, through my engagements with the work of Gallery of the Streets, got exploded for me. And a, a big part of the thinking behind this curation was being in conversations where I remember Kai saying, like, you know, we have to reach towards the operatic as a as something big enough to hold um, blackness ish, big ish enough, right? And then that same kind of refrain came up in some of the work I was engaging from Bronte and Esperanza. And then I was sitting somewhere and talking to Exine, and like you were also thinking through the idioms of opera. Um, so I'm wondering um, if there if there's a way if y'all would like to comment on what that signifier allows for you if it's distinct or different than what free jazz is opening up? Yeah, I can say, for me, opera is very much um, a creolization of different forms, and I think it's very, again, tied to slavery and this combination of or existing in white spaces and the way in which you can take up space and maneuver. I think of Jesse Norman 
and the bigness and the vastness of her voice, but it was always opera. It was still opera. It was still never hers culturally. And for me, I don't think opera is supposed to be ours culturally in that way. I think opera does like rub up against me and causes me friction because I am the slave. And I'm not African. I'm not European. I'm in that like um, interstices space. And I think that, at least for me, is why opera challenges me, but also can excite me in moments, because it's like, okay, where, what is the violence that's going on there? That's the violence that I come from, though. Like, I am a part of that violence, right? Like, I am a, in many ways, mixed-race black woman, right, coming from slavery, coming from these traditions. So my involvement, my understanding, even the language used in opera, like, we're still using Western notation. I haven't seen an opera where we're not doing that. So, yeah, I think really sort of um, I don't even want to say interrogating. I think just really sitting with um, what opera actually is for me right now is very important. I'm thinking about um, Esperanza and I talking about how uh, there ain't no way this kind of sound, like that register, didn't begin with a black woman's voice um, where you could know like you could know something so um, intimately like through the experience of your flesh that you could go to that vibration and sing at that register to go to that place um, I just don't think that came from white people is <laughs> what I'm trying to say even though there, it is like there is both this kind of um, the way I think as a like opera as an institution is very associated with like um, class. Like it's like you know these things around you fall asleep or you um, pay a lot of money or there's you know where you sit that kind of names your status. Um, there's so much associated with that. Um, and then when I think about, like, what's underneath, like, the underbelly of it, it just feels so, it does feel so black um, to me to be able to, with all of your body and spirit, um, more than vocalize, bodilize, but corporealize, you know, it's just so big to, like, uh, collaborate with sound in that way that's so powerful. I just want to, I've been so interested about the etymology of opera being work, um, which brings me to the kind of questions around labor. Yeah, and um, yeah, what is that about? Yeah, I think uh, when I think of opera, I also uh, think of this space where I don't belong. And um, I think when I, joined Gallery of the Streets or we started this project, um, you know, Kai kind of framed it like opera is a folk art originally. It's a, for the people. It's a traveling theater. And people could learn stories or hear cultural traditions from this genre. And then uh, I think it evolved. But I think what's so interesting about what Gallery of the Streets is doing is that... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're, we make the opera absurd. 
You know, it's not necessary and, and abstract. I think it's not nece- necessarily um, a traditional opera, but I'm going to throw it to you in a second. <laughs> you know, but we do, we use sound and visuals to kind of abstract the genre, genre and also create a space for people to actively engage. And I think that really transforms the, um, what traditionally we know as opera. Kick it, Kate. <laughs> no. Okay, I talk a lot, right? I, I'm an Aquarius with a Gemini rising. Chatty, chatty, chatty. This is my shit. <laughs> Intellectual musing. So I'm, I'm apologizing up front to everybody. Feel free to cut me off. Jump in. But I do have thoughts about some of these things. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, yes, yes, yes. I agree with things that are said. And I, and I think, I love, I love what you just said. Like, Abby Lincoln and Max Roach um, tripped it. Yeah? And her, her breathing and all that was, is operatic. My character in our visual opera is a DJ, so I like to play the tunes. And so that we, we tend to start a lot with that, and it gets real heavy um, if people have heard it. And that's operatic. Whale songs. You know what I mean? That's operatic. So like that blood, that black blood, right, or that blood that's tied to the bottom, you know, I think it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it is to not be named, right? We had, we did a piece called Echo Hybridity, and one of our um, people who we collaborate, one of the members of Gallery of Streets, um, just sat in the corner in the, of the room and just, like, was... Wailing? <laughs> that was it. She was wailing, and I didn't, I didn't really know what was happening, right, because I'm like, so I walked by, and I was like, what the hell, Wendy? And I didn't realize that she was, like, in this character, her character, Dim, who, what was her character? They Who Hold the Bones. They Who Hold the Bones. So she was just sitting in this posture, and she's just, she takes space, right? She takes space. So she's just sitting, and she's got this really deep, deep voice um, from the gut and she's just wailing it and it's so intense just the voice you know not necessarily what it's saying but the ability to go into it and bring it out is something I'm like into with the opera not the narrative you know I don't know you making one <laughs> yes, it's be, it's making us too. I mean, it's unmaking us in a lot of ways. Mm. When um, I walked past the Met the last time in my life, I was curious to see who funded it. Mm-hmm. Thinking about this institution as like you know pinnacle representation of like opera in the United States, and mm-hmm. I was looking at all <laughs> these names that were embossed gold mm-hmm. off of a granite wall, like a marble wall. And all of their names were like these protruding words and gold. And it was, you know, L companies and investment firms and banks. And 
suddenly I started thinking about the desperation to encounter the undomesticated mm. and the sacred. But it's equal parts desperation to encounter and to feel in control of, of those forces as you're encountering them. And I started to feel in that moment that opera was a really specific design, like a really specific technology to make a curated encounter for wealthy people who have strategically removed themselves from real relationship with the undomesticated and the sacred and recreated for themselves this portal through which they can encounter it according to their terms, their story, and their ownership. And the, the, right in that moment, the whole medium started to feel so different. Mm. And I started to think, what is it about this way of human voicing, bodying, that is so magnetic mm. to structures of power? Mm. And I feel that maybe part of it is it is one of the most profound things we can do with our body, I think, adjacent to giving birth. Mm. It is such a unbelievably powerful activity just in the body mm-hmm. and I, I get a sense that it's terrifying and that people can really sense that latent power of human potential like mm-hmm. moving through the body and I'm so excited for the ways that I'm seeing that spirit technology or body technology of the medium itself like leaking out of the bottom mm-hmm. of that very hard monarchistic mm-hmm. system of development mm-hmm. and permeating the community, like permeating our lives, permeating our stories, our dreams, our shared space. And I just to use one of the um, things in the world I learned through Bronte, this idea of the terma, it, it feels to me like opera is this terma it's it's like a technology of humanity that had to be fugitive mm. through these halls mm. to keep developing mm. to keep growing to keep finding what else we could find in it and now it's like done with being held by the names on that marble wall yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. like no you don't you don't <laughs> get you don't get to occupy me and move me to your designs anymore Like, I'm going to go move where I need to go, and you figure out how the fuck to get access to the sacred and the undomesticated on your own. (laughs) This um, Esperanza, you bringing in the Met, it has me thinking about another one of the threads that started to see this vision for me was being at the house of our elder and residents of the Black Studies Collaboratory, Miss Daphne Muse. And on the wall, when you enter her kitchen, she had framed this like Japanese silk program that her father acquired through a service occupation, I believe, of the, it was like the silk printed program for the opening of the Met. And looking at that, she showed us that it featured Leontine Price. It was Alvin Ailey's choreographic debut. So I was sitting there stunned by the ways, like with, you know, Kai Barrow's definition of opera in my head, looking towards the kind of gilded institution of opera and realizing that, like, black creative labor had always been a part of that that choreography. And I think what you just raised about like this very specifically 
shaped container which people were which empowered white folks in a imperialist white supremacist patriarchal capitalist society allowed themselves access to the sacred and in this american context it necessitated that black woman's voice um, and that black queer man's body and i think that is something that is still teaching me um, and was part of what drove me to bring y'all together <laughs> i know right I um yeah, I'm thinking so my my next kind of discussion anchor is that kind of like shivers in me was was about like wondering how you all would describe like the the textures of your creative process um in the ways and, and it's come up a little bit like I'm I'm thinking about presences and, and hauntings, but in a way that's not, you know, the like like white ghost story, but of what it means to be kin with your dead folks um, and how that shows up in creative practices. But I'm wondering if you all might um, riff on or share um, what you feel comfortable sharing, right? Because not everything is meant to be known. Um, what the kind of like textures and feels of your particular practices have been or um, what your collabor collaboratory <laughs> processes are, like the texture of the work that you do with others. For me, for me, that question is a little bit difficult, in a, because, and I'm trying to, I think I'm in a transition with my work, trying to pull it out of a digital space where, you know, you, you have access to so much, and, you know, you can take an unlimited amount of photos or an unlimited amount of video, but I think sometimes digital lacks uh, texture and depth, in a way, even though it's a cheap way to archive things. And um, so I think my practice as somebody who is uh, documenting and um, starting to archive uh, black, black radical traditions, and specifically with Gallery of the Streets, I think um, moving more towards uh, analog film creates this... Uh, different texture and also different visceral relationship that is uh, that that slows you down and then also offers uh, a texture that's um, bright I don't know I'm not really sure how to answer your question but I think for me that's that's where I'm going and I appreciated that question because it, it helps me think about uh, the making of the work, and I think um, you know with with our work too uh, the the gallery of the streets is layered you know I think that 's also a challenge is in in this in this kind of way that I grew up, everything is immediately gratifying, like I see something and I realize what it is, and i 'm like, oh, I got that. But when you sit with um, work that is, you know, abstract and uh, illegible, <laughs> you, you have to really sit with it and take your time and, and, um, and kind of go into a place of unknowing and be comfortable with that. And um, so that's, that's kind of where I am with that question. 
Um, back to the rhythm. Okay. Um, that's a hard question. I had to think about that a bit. I don't, I don't know what you mean. And so I, that was, it was a good challenge, right? I thought about it. I was like, what is a texture? Because my work, I try to be very textured, right? So ideally, I would have loved to be able to spread dirt here. You know I would. And you know I would get it up. But, like, I like to deal with the materials of uh, the matter. I like to work with matter. And then I like to work with space. So matter and space. Um, and I'm trying to get more and more in that direction, let go of the, the object, right? Um, and so I think my textures are very... Um, tactile. So right now I'm working a lot with cotton, and if you all come to the workshop, I've, I've brought it on, on the flight, which was probably hilarious. The, the way it seeped out of the, out of the suitcase. <laughs> I, I, I know the, the TSA people were like, what the? <laughs> you know, so I brought a big suitcase of cotton that I've picked um, so that we can actually, if we want engage that is a really intense visual for those who have never seen like you know what I mean cotton which grows everywhere um I've been working a lot with sugar cane you know we went and chopped some up <laughs> um and so I'm really trying to put myself in the position of the labor that uh black women uh enslaved black women engaged so that as I'm uh, working with the, all the materials, which were engaged by enslaved black women uh, diasporically, I'm having a sense of what that labor feels like in my body. And so it's not, it's not, and it's, it's a performance of the labor because I'm not, nobody's standing behind me with a rifle. And, you know, I understand the, the, the obvious, uh, uh, limitations of that, but the the process uh, of gathering, sorting, and then reconceptualizing in a way that might really sit on the edges of some kind of a palimpsest. Right. I also work with collage. Um, is a way that I think I'm able to smudge and peel and pile and just have this really physical relationship with tool materials that then translate into either spaces, paintings, or sculptures. Thank you. I, I just want to pause because I hear the bells, um, which signifies that it's noon, and I know that um, Esperanza might have to depart. Or Okay, absolutely. Just checking in. Thank you. <laughs> no, where are we? Um, and, oh, I guess also I'll mention there were cards on your seat. So if you have a question brewing, um, please uh, write it down and then pass it towards Lee Rayford in this lovely jumpsuit right here. Um, and then <laughs> um, Yeah, sorry for that, like, technical interruption, but please, please come in. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'll keep going. Um, it's funny you mentioned like traveling with like 
cotton. I've traveled with a lot of dirt before, and TSA is always like, what is this? What do we do with it? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I like to use dirt and soil as a archive, as a tool to access um, ancestors and other planes. And I think so on the first question, or second, as far as like collaboration, I really like to make sure I'm collaborating with spirit. I don't feel like personally I have anything deeply interesting to say <laughs> without that sort of like um, backing behind me. So I usually like, I have to sleep a lot. I have to like take care of myself. Um, I have to pray like to specific, you know, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, and do all my like ritual, you know, altar work. Um, so then I can like sit down and it's like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. This is what's coming to me. This is what feels like it needs to be expressed. Um, so always being in collaboration in that sense feels really vital. I think as far as texture, again, I go back to dirt. I think I've always been obsessed with dirt as a kid, like the feeling of it in my hands, making it wet, watching it dry, putting it in my mouth, um, really like feeling how it like swivels around, kind of like cuts your teeth, things like that. Um, I think that relates a lot to my work because there's like a groundedness, there's a rootedness that I'm always trying to access. I'm a Capricorn, I'm like there always. But then there's this other part of me that is like transient and airy and kind of like open to being um, blown away or destroyed or um, vulnerable mm -hmm. in a sense. And I like the way that like dirt in moments can be very compact, but then when you kind of get down to it, it's nitty and gritty and small and you can't really control it or contain it. And I think that usually fuels my work. <laughs> we can talk more about eating dirt too. I'm here for it. I'm just, I'm just feeling Bronte here, next to me, and thinking about um, some. Okay, thinking about creative process and collaboratory process, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering or touching into the texture of my own humanity or our personhood or like the the constellation of beliefs and practices or ways of, of engaging or relating that you know make up this person of me and so much of what feels like is being worked with is that essence and I I, I just think of so much undoing or unraveling or it, like uh, unexpected exposure <laughs> of things, elements of of how I am and move, you know? And that feels like the primary texture and it can feel really terrifying to feel sometimes very exposed, you know? Sometimes exposing my own internalized prejudice or patriarchy or insensitivities or brutalities even. Mm. And that it feels like the working the working, the creative practice is like a working mm. with those elements that come to light mm. through the kind of inevitable vulnerability and, and personal exposure mm -hmm. of 
creating and collaborating, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I think I'm touching into that partially because you're sitting next to me, and I feel that, you know, so much of our creative process and this project that we're probably working on many projects in multiple dimensions, but it's really felt like like a crafting and evolving of the texture of myself, you know? Mm. And um, the things that grow out of the creative process are like little little expressions or portraits or radiations mm. from that main texture. And, and, it, and it feels really terrifying a lot of the time. And, it, and somebody spoke about, you know, being invited to sit with that unknown space and it feels like really that is also a texture of the creative practice of like not knowing what you're going to encounter about yourself and what somebody else might encounter first. <laughs> and, then, and then you get to work with. Um, and, and actually, newly, I want to say, coming from a practice of being an instrumentalist, which is a lot of alone time, um, that this creative practice and collaboratory space are feeling like completely in in meshed, you know, interwoven and I'm really grateful for that evolution and I pray for the you know, spiritual endurance or softness to lean further into that way of being in creative practice. I get to collect again, so thanks, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, just from from that from the tail end of what you just shared, um, just I feel so grateful that so much of my processes are collaboratory, um, be it with other Black femmes or Black queer folks or the land that I live with or um, animals or spirit, um, um, yeah, ancestors, I feel all of that. I feel great. And uh, the other, I feel very much that my practice is also about collaborating with otherness, um, also as a mixed black person. Um, And being curious about what it is to be with uh, friction. And um, I, I know somebody in here knows the author of that text, Frittage. Anybody? I don't know what their name is. I don't, I don't know the last name, but Kiguru. Okay, thank you. Um, it's a, the text is about, like, both Frittage as, like, um, a word that means, like, rubbing up against somebody in public on accident, kind of liking it. Non-consensual. But it's also about, like, I'm so sorry, this is what the book is about. (laughs) But it's also about, don't do that. Um, But it's also about the kind of ways that black folks across the diaspora have kind of been, like, lumped together, like, as though we're one being. And the friction of, they use this language of the friction of our intimacy, of like the friction of our distinctions and the ways, our, the ways we know, come to know ourselves rub up against one another, of how we understand our own beingness. Um, and that blackness is not monolithic, so it's not going to have this 
it's not, it's going to be, actually, when you, when you spoke to the texture, my texture felt very corrugated in the work, but, you know, where there's crevices and cracks and um, fractures where so much is then available. Um, so I'm grateful for that kind of, that place. And I was thinking a lot about, um, with just touch, I was, and not that touch, not for Taj, but um, I was thinking about just a couple of weekends ago getting to go to, um, I'm in this class right now called Fleece to Garment, that's so cool, um, working from the, all of the processes from um, shearing the sheep to um, working with skirting the fleece to carding the wool to spinning the yarn to making the garment. And um, I was touching um, the sheep wool, and it really was like that moment of, you know, there was a lot of white women at the class, um, and we were all touching this sheep wool that I imagine you know what it felt like. Um, and I didn't like them touching it with me <laughs> because it was so, the hair, the highlights were even my color. Like it was so, in the crimp of the, sh of the wool was my same color. And I, um, and we were all like making contact and um, there was something about that though, about us both doing that and me feeling this is an animal that I feel a type of way about as like we're touching a black person's hair. That's how I feel in my body. It's registering in that way. Um, so there's something also about my creative process that I feel is about blurring blackness and animality and interspecies kinship where I've really felt that, I really felt connected to the sheep. And I'll make some bundles. That's gonna be <laughs> that's my um that's gonna be my garment is making some bundles for some braids, um, which none of them, um, yeah. <laughs> no, no. When I shared in the class that I wanted to do that, and it was so clear, there was no like, um, there wasn't that recognition of what that meant to do that. Um, so I think some of my other texture is about that. That's okay and that I can say it now with people who know what it, what it means, but being willing to go to sites of friction um, for, yeah, cl that closeness. Wow. So much just, like, hit me in the face. Like, I feel like somebody just flicked holy water in my face. Um, but I was thinking as you were talking, Bronte, about your encounter with, with our sheepkin, um, about the, uh, this Lucille Clif Clifton quote, um, being property once myself, I have a feeling for it. Um, and how so much of that, and I know it's been taken up in a book that's probably great um, by Joshua Bennett. I haven't read it, so I don't, you know, but brilliant people who write poems too. Um, but I, I'm thinking about just the what it means to really live in to that relation, particularly um, in in the body, in a racialized and gendered body, um, and how you come into that relation through craft. Um, I'm also thinking about how so much of this kind of self-facing and self-effacing work of collaboration um, is so much a part of what 
abolition necessitates in this moment. And I think that's something that has sharpened and grown in me um, through my work with Gallery of the Streets, through the study that we've done, and also through the dirt laying (laughs) and toting and rock gathering and pallet shipping. Um, And I think that there's something about, like I know there's a quote that's like right on the outside of my brain about how abolition is as much about creating and growing and building anew as it is about tearing down. Um, but I'm I'm thinking with you all, and I think I'm so moved. This was an unexpected part of my dream, um, that it would just so perfectly align with the work like something like the Ab- Abolition Democracy Fellowship Program is doing, or even just, you know, this the way that, you know, we've talked, Kai, about how you have been doing this work for so long and are in this moment where it's on the news, people talking about abolishing the prison industrial complex. Um, But even that, like, there's this kind of um, a fervor that is very excited to demolish, which is necessary, but can overlook the kind of friction and uh, tenderness and the necessary... uh, The word coming to my mind is the necessary vulnerabilities, but that's not all the way right, but, like, of the actual work um, of building, creating, and envisioning anew. Um, and I would love to just hold some space um, as we wait for questions together. Are, are there questions? Oh, okay. Oh, people out there in live stream land, please type your questions in the chat. I really feel like Oprah Understood. So some housekeeping. Exine Sky. Clap, claps. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. Are you doing pronouns? Too? Oh, if you, I don't, I don't want to okay. pronounce that for y'all. But if you, I could just let y'all introduce yourselves and not have my moment. So yeah, I'm Maxine Sky. She, her. I'm Jazz Franklin. Pronouns are black. She, her. Ah. <laughs> uh. I'm Kai Lumumba Barrow. I wish I could be so cool to have a pronoun like black. <laughs> it's she, her, boring. Uh, Esperanza Spalding and pronouns are she, her. Bronte Velez, they, them. Thank you, and thank you, Ishar. Um, thinking about creating the woo, woo I'm getting a feeling um, <laughs> when we speak about creating the new it makes me think of uh, other practices of sustaining and um, you spoke about something jazz of this like immediacy of the digital era and feeling like oh I can engage with it and I got it and like the cycle's complete mm-hmm. and I'm by many, many pathways, I keep being invited to reckon with the responsibility of inviting new spaces of vulnerability and like really sinking into the the relationship and the commitment of devising new spaces mm-hmm. for being in new ways of vulnerability and accountability with each other. Mm-hmm. And how I tend to bring to the creation of new spaces the same kind of beginning, middle, end mentality of like consumerism. Mm. That like I extended myself, I got what I wanted, and it's done. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't have a point. I'm just noticing that the welling up of that awareness of like longing for encounters with versions of continuity and ways that creators of these new alternative spaces and ways of holding each other can can model and have modeled like a maybe I even have to give up other things that I'm used to investing energy or receiving, you know, validation from or whatever to remain present and remain in a commitment of sustaining with all its evolutions mm-hmm. this newfound or new developed space. Well, I do have two cards here with some questions on it. Um, the first what kinds of ways has your work slash labor helped you slash us to evade capture? And perhaps this is an opening to think with the Maroons, um, who are a part of that you know constellation of the formerly enslaved, the enslaved that are with us, that I, I have seen and felt and experienced in all of your work in different ways. Um, I think playful. The, the you know when you think about black abstraction I've been okay I'm gonna do a whole can't hold a I'm gonna do a uh, movement person thing you know <laughs> you know how old movement people walk around with books and things <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm walking around with a book right that I just read and I really think it's important I mean I'm reading. And I really think it's important for us to cite our sources and try to encourage each other to you know, read these things if we can. But um so excited about this book, Black Post Blackness, and um by Margot Natalie Crawford. And her second chapter is called The Politics of Abstraction. And so um she talks about, yeah, like this idea of strategic abstraction and that part of abstraction also has a um satire and uh, playfulness. And I think about people like David Hammonds, right, who is, like, amazing, right? And his book, I mean, his, his installation piece, uh, Concerto in uh, Black and Blue, right, where the people would come in with flashlights to be able to check what blackness is in movement, right? And so, like, just playing with things un... Um, Usually not. We rarely are in museum and contained spaces. We tend to be in the field. We tend to do a lot of exploration. I, as a painter, refuse to put paintings on the wall, which is why they're double-sided and take space. I won't have them constrained. I want them to move out. So to be to try to work with a two-dimensional object that can actually also be in motion and movement with the people who are engaging it. So you have to move with it, right? I think those are ways we invade, we evade capture. And then I think I mean, our experiences of like, oh my God. Gathering information as participatory research, we've had quite some interesting experiences in places like um, Mariana Federal Federal prison. Yeah. Mariana Federal Prison for Women. <laughs> right. So we walked into Mariana Federal Prison for Women, right? Um, like literally drove up, opened the door, walked into the prison, 
And there was like a custodial person, like a prisoner was sweeping. And nobody stopped us, me. And so I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and he was like, you're not supposed to be in here. You're not supposed to be in here. I was like, shh. <laughs> but just looking at how we can cross borders, you know, from Heathrow to prisons to, you know, just going into different hovels and holes because we, we taught the Maroons when we went to visit the Maroons in Jamaica. We went to visit Maroons in Jamaica and just happened to find a conference of international, a gathering of international Maroons because we were talking to people on the street, wow. right? And they were like, oh, you must be, because we were like, because, you know, the patriarchy, hey, babe, is, it, is that your mother? Is that your daughter? What is, what is this? <laughs> so, you know, and so we said we're looking for maroons in order to get the patriarchy back. And they said, oh, well, you need to go to such and such. And so we just ended up at this place. So I think this kind of being open, being playful, like our way of who looks at us and thinks of us as at all threatening. A playful subterfuge. Right, right, right. So that's how we, I think, evade, capture, and still try, like living in this heterotopia. Like we're in this place of, of uh, miserableism, as a surrealist would say. And at the same time, we're also living our marvelous selves, right? And we're also reproducing and living our marvelous selves um, relationships with other marvelous ones, right? And I think that's how we keep that moving, right? Okay, you like that? <laughs> You've been dropping science, though, for real now. <laughs> but I do. I do. I do think that's part of what we're, we're all in the, in the work of doing, which is why it's so amazing to be, like, talking with you. Uh, we just met for the first time, so I'm kind of geeked. Like artists, black artists. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, Kai, I really like that answer. Um, I think particularly the playfulness. I feel like that's something I engage in my practice when it comes. But I think for me, how I evade capture is really sort of diving deep into like the mania of my own mind. And really, like, facing the darkness in my own body, my own mind, um, and just really staying right there. I think a lot of the work I do is, like, getting uncomfortable with, like, yes, I am ill. I am not well. Like, I am not comfortable. I am not happy. I am upset. My body cannot hold these emotions. What do I do? Um, yeah, and just staying right there. I think that's why, like, Nina Simone was so important to me to kind of hear her speak about the ways, like, yeah, I'm not well, I'm not happy, like, I don't like any of this, and that's okay. And to kind of end on that note, too, right? Because, I mean, she did, and I feel like that's important, and I feel like that's a large part of her legacy that's trying to, like, kind of glossed over, but, like, she wasn't happy. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to sit in those moments. Um, I think Buddhism is something that's really become very important to me, and... Again, this idea of sitting before you even get to the point of like transcending or transmuting. And I think so much of our process is like, oh, let's get to the like gratification. Let's get to the feeling good. Let's get to the, you know, being able to synthesize this. And I think for me, it's really just like, no, Mm -hmm. sit in the emotion, understand it, feel it, like really let yourself like face yourself. Mm 
and see what comes from that. And that to me feels like, okay, if I can handle my own crazy, then that's freedom for me. That's like saving me. Can we still hop on this question? Okay. Um, thank you all for what you shared. I'm, I feel so thrilled to be in conversation, even though we're in a line. <laughs> um, hey, because I haven't, I haven't got to make eye contact with you. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about there. I'm thinking about like um, these like quite literal ways that. Um, black people are captured. Um, and I'm thinking about this moment to how, I lear- how I'm learning what evasion of capture might also look like um, is not going alone and not being alone, both spiritually and physically. Um, we were filming a project called Between Starshine and Clay with My Collective Led to Life, and we were out in Point Reyes, Coast Miwok territory in California, um, and there was a ceremonialist present to hold the, this ritual filming. Um, and our work where we are transforming guns into ritual objects and, and tools. Um, and we were working with these materials in the forest and women who were joining us who um, had lost their children to police brutality in Stockton. We've just gone, th- we're go- had just been in a ritual together and collectively of offering this limpia to a gun that had been donated to us. Um, and we were in a clearly like ritual space. And the ritualist I didn't know had to leave early to go pick up Um, her son from Oakland and so we come out of that space everything's we're deeply like raw and we come out of that space someone has left early the ritualist had to go we're rushing to catch the sunset for the next scene and while we're on the route there one of the brothers who's a part who is a drummer for the film is outside of his car um, with a park ranger. And we're like, why is he out of his car? And there's this you know, moment between the sunset and scarcity and one day and no money to film and all these people. It took so much to get all these black people to Point Reyes, if you've ever been there. <laughs> there's no black people there. Um, and, and then to have this moment of stopping, particularly by Denise Friday and Dion Smith, um, who are organizers um, and also mothers who've been impacted, to stop us and to stop what was happening. And I had, right before that moment, even before I knew what was about to happen, I had had, I was having a panic attack coming out of that space. I didn't even know what was happening. It was just like a spiritual attack. And I was wailing and, like, couldn't catch my breath. And then when I looked up, that's when I saw that the brother was outside of the car. And I just learned so much from that moment about closing. And 
going from one place to the next, of ritual closing, of sealing space, of, of saying, of vows of safety with one another, of saying, like, I'm not going to let you go alone. We're going to go together. We're letting people know where we're going, both spiritually and, like, physically, like, just straight up. But also when we're going to go, when we're going somewhere spiritually, that we're letting one another know. Um, so that we don't get taken by something physical, be it the police, or be it, like, some demonic-ass forces, <laughs> you know? Like, there's, that we really, I'm learning, I've learned when I tried to go, when I've tried to go alone to do spiritual encounters or re-encounter, like, these ideas of spirituality because we've been so deeply separated. When I've gone alone, I've been harmed. And um, just learning about that, like, slowness, um, yeah, together. The um the the second the both the questions were aligned I think in this question of of what escapes um, the second question has a more like pointed ask around like what does it mean or look like to to create what they call emancipatory art in corporate environments <laughs> no no um, I, another thing I learned from Kai is the term art industrial complex. <laughs> Um, but I guess it's so, I'm, I'm very grateful that you all have joined me here um, and have come in response to the call and have brought your gifts um, and all that that means. Um, I'm really like, my, my brain is like fervently searching for a way to close, but it doesn't want to close. <laughs> well, I mean, can I, I mean, I don't know what it's like to make art in corporate environment. I don't want to mm-hmm. be that rude. Um, all environments are corporate, right? <laughs> like, we live in capitalism, right? <laughs> like, so there's always some form of carcerality, right? We went, we went and when we picked sugarcane, Ra, Jess, uh, me, and a couple other people, uh, when was that? Like, recently. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> November. Yeah. And, and there was, a, we did Donaldsonville, uh, Louisiana, and there's a lot of plastic plants, Right, that are in that environment, which is why this area is known as Cancer Alley, right? And the hurricane Ida hit the um, the area really hard, and so now you have people who are dying from cancer, who are fighting to keep living on that land that is theirs originally, but has been poisoned by these corporations, and. Even the sugarcane is not, you know, obviously the sugarcane is less buoyant, it's not as sweet. And so when we go and steal their profits, Mm -hmm. we feel that's what it's like to be working in that space. Not to be a problem, but I did have a show recently in uh, New Orleans, and I did we, we laid dirt all over the floor, right, and scratched up the walls and just like kind of reconfigured the space. And so now, you know, they, they had to like rebuild the whole <laughs> floor. And there was like, okay, is this being recorded? I, I saw a worm. <laughs> I was like, 
I'm not going to kill it. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's ways I think about our ancestors who worked in the kitchens, who worked in the big house, who were always figuring out ways to subvert and subterfuge mm -hmm. the institution that they're within. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, so we're always working in corporate, carceral environments, mm -hmm. while again, at the same time, trying to work in a space that dares mm -hmm. ourselves to be, I love what you said, dares ourselves to be closed in by these monsters and allow, and we're seeping out. Mm -hmm. you Absolutely. Know. Wow, I just feel such deep um, energy, adoration, I feel inspired. I'm so beyond grateful <laughs> for everything that just opened up. And I'm thankful for folks who came to witness this convergence, um, which I'm certain in all of my, my being is not the last. Um, so with that, I just invite us to, to close this container. Um, I'm just thinking about, um, actually, Bronte, would you dedicate the merits? <laughs> Um, well, thank you for organizing this space and convening all of us. And um, I felt all of you from moments of laughter and applause or furrowed brows or smiles underneath masks. So I'm glad we got to connect in some way. And um, this practice comes from, to me, through Miyakota Taylor um, from a body of work called Fierce Allies and through Buddhism, to um, dedicate the merits of any joy that came from this time, any liberation that came from this time, to send it out for those who are not gathered with us. Um, so if there's anyone in your heart you might feel would be blessed by this conversation today who wasn't here, um, you can just think of them in your spirit. And if you want to, you could repeat after me. I'll say the phrase first so you, don't, so you know what we're going to say. Um, <laughs> May any positivity generated be given away to all of life for the sake of freedom. And then I'll say it again. And if you want to repeat, you can. May any positivity generated, any positivity generated. be given away to all of life. For the sake of freedom. For the sake of freedom. Ashe, thank you. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ACAST, or wherever you listen. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. <laughs>